weeks ago, we hosted our first ever Connecting You event. And uh, this is brand new for us. We put this together uh, just simply to try and help people who are newer to the church and, and have not yet become members to become acquainted with the church. And in that setting, we're able to talk a little bit more about the mission, vision of the church, a little bit more in depth about what we believe. And uh, not only that, it's also an avenue to help those who want to uh, connect deep on a deeper level and uh, find a place to connect and serve in the church. It'll help you do that, help you plug in and play an active role. And uh, we're super excited because in our first ever uh, class, we had 13 wonderful, awesome, incredible people make the decision that they wanted to lock arms with us and become members of Connecting Point Church. Yeah, that's cool. And so if you're here this morning, I don't know if everybody that's here, but uh, if you're here and you were part of that class, you made that decision, will you just stand real quick? We want to recognize you for just a moment right where you're at. Yeah, look at that. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, if you haven't got one yet, Pastor Brad had a, uh, a certificate for you. And so now we're going to go around and have each of you sing the Connecting Point song. Did you guys all memorize that? You didn't. You can sit down. I'm just kidding. Uh, the, the second thing that, oh, by the way, we'll, we'll have another one of these uh, scheduled, I believe, next month. So be watching. If you haven't had a chance to do this, uh, we really encourage you to do it. Had a couple people say, man, if I knew it was this good, I would have invited somebody. So uh, just consider yourself invited. But the second thing I wanted to mention real quick is that uh, Drew mentioned in the announcement video that here in two weeks, we're going to have our annual elections. And then that evening, we'll have a time of celebration and uh, we do that at the end of our church year. So for those of you who may not know, our church calendar year, our church year, runs from the month of May through the month of April. So we're just in the process of wrapping up our church year. And uh, I, I don't usually spend a lot of time talking about money. If you're new here and, and you hear me say money, you go, oh, this guy probably like to, you know, they talk about money in the church all the time. I don't, probably not enough, actually. But uh, I did want to take just a moment because we're approaching the end of the year and just to let you know that as of right now, we're currently tracking roughly around a little over $12,000 behind where we need to be, behind where our, our projected ministry budget has been. And so I just want to share that with you this morning to say we've got a little bit of ground that we'd love to make up here before the end of the year, and I believe we can do that together. But in order to do that, we're going to need your help. And so over the next couple of weeks, we would just be prayerfully considering how God might uh, lead you to help us finish the year strong. And uh, just uh, as a reminder, if you want to give, you can go to that central hub. You can scan that code that Pastor Brad talked about. And you can give electronically there, or you can go out. You may have noticed we've got some new giving kiosks that are in the, the back of the worship center and out in the lobby. Those are not recycle bins, by the way. Uh, those are offering kiosks, and so you can give that way if you want to do that. But uh, we want to thank you in advance, and just a reminder that it's through your faithful and generous giving that we're able to do all the ministry of the church. The only way that we're able to meet here and do what we do on Sunday mornings and do the kids' ministries and youth ministries and uh, support the ministries that we do literally around the world is through collectively our faithful giving. And so we, we thank you for that and uh, just ask that you'd help us. Let's finish the year strong and then we'll celebrate that. We'll come together and celebrate that on uh, 30th. And rumor is there's going to be some dessert there. So uh, it, that, hopefully that'll entice you to come and we'll spend some time together. Uh, this morning, I want to jump back in 
to the sermon series that we began clear back in February. And uh, if this is your first time with us, you're new to the church, for for the past several uh, weeks, we have been talking about the Holy Spirit. We're calling this series The Forgotten God. And the reason we chose that title is because I think that for a a large group of people, that when, when we think in terms of God, it's easy for us to think in terms of like, you know, God the Father. We, we all understand the concept of father, so we can identify with that. And so we understand God the Father. And, and it's easy for us to think in terms of God the Son, because we, we're familiar with sons. We know what a son is. And, and it's easy for us to identify uh, with the person of Jesus Christ. And so we can relate to that. And so when we think in terms of, you know, God the Father and God the Son, sometimes there's a tendency for us to forget then about, oh yeah, the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. Or or even when we do think about the Holy Spirit, sometimes we might be tempted to think, you know, kind of like there's God the Father, God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit, like he's some kind of a lesser God. And, and for, for many of us, even when we think in the term, the, the Holy Spirit, just that term spirit or the concept of spirit is a little more challenging for us. And, and, and to be honest, you know, maybe for some of us, it might even seem a little weird. And part of the reason why uh, some people shy away from the spirit and even view the theology of the spirit as kind of weird is because there are some churches and some people who have done a good job of making the Holy Spirit weird. And so I've tried to remind you of this on a regular basis over and over again in this series that the Holy Spirit is not weird, right? Who's weird? People People are weird, yeah. The Holy Spirit is not weird, people are weird. And so the way we view the Holy Spirit is really important because Whenever we see him or view him or think about him as being kind of weird or abstract or even like a lesser God, then what will happen is we will actually miss the entire reason that the Holy Spirit came. And when we miss the reason why the Holy Spirit came, the result will be every time the result will be powerlessness. Jesus said that the the way you'll... You're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and that's the way that you're going to receive power, is that when you receive the Holy Spirit, that's how you're going to receive your power, when the Holy Spirit comes. And and so when we ignore the Holy Spirit, what we're left with is simply our own power. Whenever the Holy Spirit is ignored, we're left with nothing more than our own efforts. We're left simply trying to to live a supernatural life by our own natural efforts, which is impossible. And that's why I believe that there are many Christians today who who live um, discouraged, defeated lives, constantly caught up in the same cycle of sin that they, they tried to break free from, Uh, and harmful habits that they haven't been able to break free from that they wrestled with before they ever came to Jesus. And it's why uh, so many, rather than experiencing victory over the power of sin, which we're intended to have, instead they've just kind of made friends with their sin. 
You know, I mean, I just kind of settled the fact I'm going to struggle with this. I'll never break free from its power until I get to heaven someday. And so that's just the way it is. And the truth is that so many people remain in this place. As the apostle Paul described it, he called them slaves to sin. Missing the reality that one of the things that Jesus came to do and part of the power of the resurrection is that he came to set us free from the power of sin in our lives. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Scripture says, is alive in us. And people miss that. And we don't want to miss it. And so the truth is, uh, when you think about this, that, that if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, here's a reality If it weren't for the Holy Spirit and what happened in Acts chapter 2 and then beyond, the reality is that you and I wouldn't even be sitting here today. Because it's what happened in Acts chapter 2 through the, the power of the Holy Spirit, that is what actually birthed the New Testament church. And so this is why what we're talking about during this series is so important. I want to go back and I want us to look at a passage of scripture that by now should be very familiar to most of us. We've looked at it a number of times over the past several weeks. And so uh, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, I want to encourage you to open them to Acts chapter 2. And uh, we'll also have this up on the screen. But before we go to the passage of scripture, I probably should have mentioned this before. But the book of Acts is actually, it's not so much a book as it is a letter. That it was written by a guy by the name of Luke who wrote this letter or this account to a friend of his by the name of Theophilus. And one of the things that we know about Luke is we know that Luke was a physician who um, wound up becoming a traveling companion to the Apostle Paul. He traveled with him on several of his ministry journeys. And and so Luke actually wrote two letters to Theophilus. The first one he wrote by his name, Luke. It's the Gospel of Luke, which is an account of Jesus' life and ministry. And and then he wrote the book of Acts, which is all about the birth of the church. And, and, And both of these, in both Luke and Acts... Luke really kind of hones in and he focuses on the activity of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the themes of both Luke and Acts. First of all, Luke in in, in the Gospel of Luke kind of focuses on the activity or the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. In, In fact, if you read through the Gospel of Luke over and over again, you'll find where Luke will say things like, and then Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, went here. Or or Jesus, filled with the the power of the Holy Spirit, did such and such. And so there's this focus on even Jesus' reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit in his own life. And then in the book of Acts, it's all about how the Holy Spirit was active and it played a role in the birth of the church and directing and empowering the lives of just common, ordinary people. Because we might have the tendency to say, you know, if we just read Luke, to go, yeah, well, that's Jesus. And so in Acts, it's not just Jesus. It's just common, ordinary people filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so let's, let's jump in. We're going to look, um, actually, let, let's look at um, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, 
it says. Now I want to pause right here for just a moment. I, I, I love in Scripture whenever that word suddenly shows up. It, it means surprisingly. It, it, it means um, unexpectedly, unpredictably, out of nowhere. Whenever, whenever you read that word suddenly, what it's really doing is it's setting you up for something incredible that's about to happen. And so Luke says, suddenly, out of nowhere, a noise like a violent, rushing wind. If you have your Bibles open, I would encourage you to, to, to highlight, to circle, to underline that word wind. A violent, rushing wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like fire. Again, if you got your Bibles open, underline, circle, highlight that word fire. Appeared to them. Distributing themselves. And a tongue rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't, I don't want us to miss this imagery that Luke uses here. I mean, this is really, really powerful stuff. Luke uses this really incredibly powerful imagery here to try and help us understand exactly what's taking place or what took place the moment the Holy Spirit filled the room on the day of Pentecost. And he uses these two descriptive words who everyone who would read his letter would understand or be familiar with. He says that when the Holy Spirit came, it was like fire and it was like wind. Fire and wind. What a, what a powerful image. It was like fire and wind. Now what Luke is doing here is, this is a very common practice in Scripture. In fact, Jesus often did this, where, where in, in trying to describe um, something like a heavenly or supernatural event or principle, oftentimes Jesus would, uh, he would draw a parallel to things in the natural that everybody could understand. And so Luke is doing this here. Everybody understands fire and everybody understands wind. Two incredibly powerful elements. Now, for many of us, whenever we think about wind and fire, Probably, uh, many of us, we tend to think about some sort of extreme destructive weather event. Here in Nebraska, we are familiar with wind, right? In fact, the old, the old joke used to be, uh, you know why Nebraska is so windy? Because Iowa sucks. That's... That has nothing to do with what I talk about, but I haven't bashed on Iowa for a while, and it's just been burning in me a little bit, but... Um, but the, but the reality is here in Nebraska, we understand wind. In fact, many of us personally in this room have personally experienced the power of tornadic wind. If you're somebody who ever spent any time or lived out on the, the coast instead of tornadoes, maybe, maybe you understand better uh, hurricane, gale-forced winds. If you've ever lived in, in, in California or Colorado, 
then you understand fire. Seems like they're always having fires break out in California and Colorado. In fact, uh, Laura's parents live out in the mountains of Colorado, and it seems like every single year there's a wildfire that will, will, will just cut loose and burn thousands of acres and threaten their property and their home. I don't know how many times they, over the years, they've evacuated or had to evacuate because the threat of some destructive fire and, and as powerful as wind and fire are alone, man, when they are mixed with each other, when, whenever wind catches hold of fire, it becomes a power that oftentimes is uncontainable and uncontrollable. Firefighters will tell you one of the worst things that they can deal with is when wind catches hold of fire. It's a force that will completely consume and transform whatever it sweeps over. And so I don't think it's a mistake that Luke, when he's describing the Holy Spirit, he chooses these two very powerful elements because in the moment that the wind and the fire entered into the room, every single thing from that moment on changed forever because of the power of the wind and the power of the fire. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about wind for a moment. In fact, if you go back through Scripture, one of the things that you'll find is all throughout the pages of, of Scripture that wind is used to uh, describe the presence of God, the imagery of wind. In, in fact, in the Old Testament, the, the word for wind is the word ruach. In fact, the way that it's pronounced, I can't pronounce it the way that it really ought to be pronounced, but there's almost a windiness to it in the way that it's pronounced, ruach. Ruach is a word that, that sometimes it's translated as wind, sometimes it, it's translated as breath, and other times it's translated as spirit, all coming from this word ruach. It, it's this, it's this idea of the, the spirit, the breath, the presence of God. And we first see this word show up in Genesis, in the creation story, in Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the spirit, that's that word, ruah, the, the wind, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You jump forward into Exodus. And for the sake of time, we're not going to read this passage of Scripture, but in the book of Exodus, there's the story of the children of Israel. They have been released from hundreds of years of slavery uh, uh, under the hands of the Egyptians. They're out in the middle of the desert, and Pharaoh's changed his mind, and so the Egyptian army is pursuing the children of Israel, and the Israelites are fleeing, and they become trapped between the shores of the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them, when suddenly the ruach, the wind, the, 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 the breath of God begins to blow. And you guys know the story. It's the Ruah of God that winds up separating the waters of the Red Sea and allowing the Israelites to pass through to safety. 
allowing them to escape the hands of the Egyptians and years of slavery and experience freedom, finally. You jump forward to the book of Ezekiel. And there's a story about how God takes the prophet Ezekiel out into the middle of this valley where apparently this massive war had taken place. And in this valley, we're told that there is nothing there but the bodies of dead soldiers who have been dead for so long that all of the flesh is gone and they've decayed and now there's nothing left but just piles of disconnected dry bones. And God tells Ezekiel, he says, I want you to speak to, I want you to prophesy life over these dead dry bones. And so in obedience, Ezekiel obeys God. He begins to speak life, and all of a sudden, these bones begin to move and come together, and they're joined together by ligaments and muscles form, and skin forms over the muscles. But we're told, but still, there's no life. And then suddenly, the ruah, the, the breath, the spirit, of God begins to move across the valley and the moment the Ruah blows into them, suddenly these dead, dry bones spring to life. In the New Testament, the Greek word for wind is the word pneuma. Pneuma is where we get the word pneumonia, right? It's where there's lack of breath. It's also where we get the word Pneumatic. Some of you guys might be familiar with, with what a pneumatic tool is, right? A, 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 a pneumatic tool on its own is, is good for nothing. A, a, a pneumatic tool on its own, I mean, you try and take a pneumatic wrench on its own and try and take off a tire, good luck with that. You're not going to get very far. It's useless. But boy, once you connect it to a source of air, I mean, once you, once you plug a hose into it and you begin to blow compressed air through it, all of a sudden, this tool that has no power on its own, once the air begins to flow through it, it becomes incredibly powerful. In fact, a, a pneumatic saw has the power to cut through hardened steel. What, what a perfect image of the Holy Spirit. I think this is why Jesus could say, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's saying whenever you encounter the pneuma, the wind, the breath of God, when the, when the Spirit of God breathes into you and through you, the result will be he will enable you to do what you could never do under your own power. Wind is such a powerful thing. If you've ever been through a tornado, you know this, but years ago when Laura and I were living in Kearney, uh, I, was, I was actually putting a roof on Laura's parents' house. They lived out in the country just outside of Kearney, and I, I was putting a roof on their house one day, and uh, my parents called and they said, you need to get off the roof and you need to, to get inside and get some protection. They, they lived about 30 miles west of us, and a, a tornado had just passed through where they lived and was heading our way. And um, I, I no more than got down from the house or from the roof when all of a sudden I looked up out of nowhere, the sky, you, if you've ever been through a tornado, you know this, the sky turned this weird, strange color. 
And, and the, the wind began to blow. It was this incredible force. And we went inside, and uh, Laura's parents, they lived in this old farmhouse with no basement. And so we were all huddled in the middle uh, of the house, except for Laura. She was looking out the windows, wanting to see what was going on. I don't know what was up with that. I was like, what are you doing? And, and the windows, the, the, the force was so great that the glass in the windows were like bowing several inches out. I have no idea why they, they didn't break. But if you've ever been through a tornado, you know this, but when the tornado is coming, there's a sound like no. In fact, people say it sounds like what? Freight a freight train, yeah. And that was the sound. There was this violent, rushing, mighty wind that made a sound. They, they had this massive I don't know how old it was, but this massive cottonwood tree that was out in their front yard. And when the tornado came through, the wind actually grabbed this tree, picked it up, pulled it out of the ground, and laid it in their front yard. The power was just incredible. And it's this imagery that Luke is giving here. He's saying that the moment the Holy Spirit entered the room, there was this uncontainable power that caused people to take notice. Some of you remember in the old days, if you grew up with the old King James version of the Bible, that instead of Holy Spirit, it would use the term Holy Ghost. Do you guys remember that? And that, that word ghost actually goes back to an old Anglo-Saxon word, which is where the word gust comes from. A, a, a gust of wind is something that you know, it just, it just kind of comes unexpectedly, right? In other words, you can't predict and you can't control a gust of wind. And Luke tells us this is how it is with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 3. He says that the wind, it blows wherever it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. In other words, there's this unpredictable, uncontrollable nature to the wind. He says, so it blows, you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know where it's going, so, so it is, he says, with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The, the point is that for some people, their interest in the Holy Spirit is that they have this desire to somehow contain, manipulate, use the Holy Spirit. To, 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 there's this desire to access the power of the Holy Spirit for their own purposes. To elevate themselves, to, to make themselves look good. The truth is we see this all the time in the church today. Always, I, I'm, I'm always leery of anybody who advertises themselves with a title that somehow is supposed to point to some power that the Holy Spirit has somehow given to them. Prophet so-and-so or prophetess such-and-such. Apostle so-and-so, healer so-and-so. Pe people who think that they can somehow harness the power of the Holy Spirit at their own whim, I think are very dangerous people. Beware of such people. We're going to talk about this when we begin talking about the gifts of the Spirit. But the gifts of the Spirit are the Spirit's. They're not our gifts. They're the Spirit's gifts that he 
gives to us as he wishes, when he wants to. We'll talk about that later. But, but, but um, there, there's a great example of what I'm talking about uh, that, that takes place in Acts chapter 8. And we're told in Acts chapter 8 that there's this guy by the name of Simon the sorcerer. And in Acts chapter 8, it says this guy Simon, he, he practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. And watch this. It says he boasted that he was someone great. I'm able to do these supernatural things, and so that somehow points to me and how great I am. And what happens in the story, if you read on, Peter and John wind up coming to Samaria. They are filled with, they are led by, they are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they begin being led by the Spirit, laying hands on people, and praying for people, and people are healed. And so this guy Simon comes to Peter and John and he says, hey, if you guys would give me some of the power that you have, I'll pay you for it. And and immediately Peter rebukes him. And he tells Simon that not only will you never have a part of our ministry, but he tells Simon you need to repent because your heart is filled with wickedness. You see, Simon's problem was that he, he thought that somehow he could possess the power of the Holy Spirit for his own purpose and gain. When in reality, it's the Holy Spirit that wants to possess us. It, it's the Holy Spirit that wants, it, it's not that we control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to control us and use us for his purposes of healing and delivering and saving lost people. You see, the Spirit, the Spirit's like a gust of wind. A holy gust of wind that you can't control. It blows where it wills and it comes upon us suddenly and unexpectedly with power. And so Luke says the Holy Spirit is like a wind, but he says the Holy Spirit is also like a fire. Uh, Again, just like the wind, fire is another image that in Scripture signifies the presence of God. In fact, in Genesis chapter 15, when God is initiating this covenant that he makes with Abraham, he appears to Abraham as a burning torch that winds up consuming the sacrifice of the covenant. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is out, and this is a familiar story. He's out tending his father's sheep, and he comes upon what? A burning bush, right? This bush, this fire that won't be extinguished. Later in Exodus chapter 13, after the Israelites are delivered from slavery... They're out in the middle of the desert, and it's God's presence that leads them by a pillar of fire at night, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire at night. And then in Exodus chapter 19, there's an incident where where Moses leads the children of Israel to Mount Sinai, and the entire group of people are going to meet with God. And it says that in that moment, the entire mountain began to shake violently and it was consumed with smoke because the Lord had descended upon it as fire. The people are so afraid, they're like, we're not going to go up there because if we go up there, the holiness of the Lord is going to consume us and burn us. And so they're like to Moses, hey, how about you just go find out what God has to say and then come back and tell us. It's because of the fire. And so it's no surprise that on the day of Pentecost, we see the fire again. It's the fulfillment of what John the Baptist prophesied in Luke chapter 3. He said that people, there's going to come a day where people will not just be baptized by water or immersed in water, but they're going to be immersed in fire 
and with the Holy Spirit. What is it about fire that helps us understand what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives? The, the, the first thing I want to note about fire is that fire consumes. Fire consumes. I mean, you, you take a, a piece of wood or, or a piece of paper or plastic or whatever. I mean, you, you can even take steel. If the fire is hot enough, the fire will consume whatever comes in contact with the fire. L listen, I'm convinced that one of the most significant things that happened on the day of Pentecost, which led to the birth of the New Testament church, the most, one of the most significant things that happened was that for the very first time, a bunch of people got totally consumed by the Holy Spirit. I mean, up until that point, Every single one of these men and women who were in the upper room had been following Jesus. The 120 that were there. They'd all been following Jesus. It wasn't like they weren't trying to follow Jesus, but they were trying to follow him with their own power, their own strength, when the reality is they needed more. I mean, Peter, without the Holy Spirit, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, we're told that Peter follows Jesus to Caiaphas' house. He gets to Caiaphas' house, and he does something that he never imagined that he would do. He denies Jesus three times out of fear. A few days later, that same Peter, having been consumed by the power of the Holy Spirit, being immersed in the Spirit, now full of power, we're told that he stands in front of a crowd of thousands of people, and he declares, Jesus Christ indeed is the Lord. He's the Son of God whom you crucified. And in that moment, he preaches this sermon, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. 3,000 people are saved. Listen, I'm convinced that the answer for the church is not that we need better programs. It's not that we need more lights, better music, slicker programming. I'm convinced that what we really need is simply a bunch of people who would allow themselves to totally be consumed by the Holy Spirit. The, the, the second thing about fire is that fire not only consumes, but fire purifies. Whenever, whenever precious metals like gold or silver are being refined, one of the things that a refiner will do is he will subject the raw metal to fire. And what the fire will do is that when it hits the right temperature, all of a sudden, all of the impurities that exist within this raw metal will begin to be burned away. And, and it'll leave behind, after it's been subjected to this process of subjected to fire, it'll leave behind pure gold or pure silver. I, I love in Malachi chapter 3, the writer of Malachi talks about this, how he says that God is a refiner, and this is exactly what he wants to do in our lives. One of the things that God wants to do in our lives is he wants to purify us. And, and can I just tell you that that's not always fun? Another thing... 
that we know about fire is it's hot. It burns. It hurts. And, and sometimes the purifying fire of God in our lives, sometimes it won't feel good. It will hurt. It'll be uncomfortable. Can I just tell you this morning that God is way more concerned about your character than he is your level of comfort? And he will do whatever it takes in order to to purify you. One of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives is he wants to purify us. He wants to eradicate the, the stain of sin in our lives. He wants to get rid of. Anything that will keep us from being the kind of man or the kind of woman that he created us to be. In scripture, the the Bible compares the people of God or the church of God as to being like a bride. It says that Jesus is the bridegroom and, and the church is the bride. And we're told that there will come a day when Jesus will return and he's going to come back for a bride that is pure and spotless. Listen, we need the Holy Spirit to purify us, to cleanse us, to free us from the power and the dominion of sin. If you don't think that there was some purification going on on the day of Pentecost, you're crazy. Because in the end, every single one of these folks failed Jesus. They all ran away. They all turned their back on him. They all blew it. Two, two, two other really quick things I want to say about fire. And that is, first of all, that, that when, when the conditions are just right, all it takes is a spark to ignite a massive blaze. All it takes is a spark when the conditions are right. In fact, back in 2020, Colorado experienced one of the worst wildfires ever in the history of the state. There were hundreds of thousands of acres that were consumed before firefighters could get it under control. And I I was reading an article this past week about this, and the article said that the reason that this particular fire became so large and so uncontrollable was because of, of, of the conditions. The conditions were just perfect. There was a combination of it was one of the driest years that they'd ever had in recent history. And then that combined with there was an infestation of pine beetles, which had swept through the area, killing millions of trees. And, and they said that it was because of that combination that it provided the perfect environment where all it took was one small spark from a camper's fire which wound up producing one of the largest wildfires in Colorado history. Man, please don't miss this. When the conditions are right, it only takes a spark. One of the things that we've been praying for over the past several years is really we've been praying for this, that the conditions would be right for a revival of God to sweep through our church and through our area. That the conditions would be right. Listen, no human being can manufacture a move of God. It can only come when the environment is right. 
It, it, it only comes when the Spirit of God grips the people of God with a hunger for Him and empowers them with His presence in a way that carries the move of God outside the walls of the church into the community. We cannot manufacture it, but we certainly can ask for it. We can seek it. We can put ourselves in position to experience it. And, and I just want to say this, that what God is doing right now, right here, I've been in the church for my entire life, and I have never seen anything like what God is doing right here, right now. My dad and I have talked about this several times over the past several months. My dad has served in ministry for over 50 years of his life, and he'll tell you, I've never seen what God is doing right here, right now, ever before. We, we talk about this in our staff meetings, we, 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 and, and, and as a leadership team, we're not having to come up with stories. Every week in our staff meeting, we, we talk about all of the ways that we have seen and experienced God move over the past week. And, and we'll hear, we'll tell each other story after story after story of how God is saving and healing and delivering and set free, how God is moving. This past week, I heard the same story twice. It was a story of, of a lady right here who was healed of cancer last week. Some people would clap for that. Yeah. Went, went, to the, went to the doctor. The doctor saw a tumor. She was told to come back. They were going to develop a, a treatment plan, a strategy of how to deal with it. And in the meantime, her small group gathered around her. They just simply did what Scripture says to do. They laid hands on her. They prayed over her. She went back to the doctor, and the tumor was gone. I'm telling you, God is at work. He, he's creating an environment. Ne nearly, nearly every week, we see people surrender their lives to Jesus for the very first time. Every, every week, we see people give their lives to Jesus. I've been a part of churches where nobody has given their lives to Jesus in years. And we see it every week. Been a part of churches where they, they haven't baptized anybody in years, but not here, man. I'm telling you, it happens every week. In fact, it's going to happen today. There's somebody that, that came into this place today and God brought you here because he loves you. He brought you here because he wants to encounter you and he wants you to connect with him and he wants to set you free. Every week we see this happen. Every week, somebody surrenders their life to Jesus. Every week, somebody gets made brand new. Every week, somebody moves from death to life. Every single week. I'm telling you, I, I sense it in our services. It's like there's been an increase of God's presence and God's power that's taking place. I believe it with all my heart. I believe that God is setting the conditions to be right. And I believe that all it's going to take is one tiny spark. Last thing I want to say about fire, and I'm going to pray and, and we're going to go. 
is that in order for a fire to be sustained, it has to be tended. It has to be taken care of. Fires have to be tended. How do you tend a fire? You tend a fire by feeding it, right? You, you got to keep feeding it. The only way to feed the fire of God in our own lives is we've got to stay close to the source of the fire. You got to stay close to the source. You got to keep pressing into the, the presence. We have to be intentional about tending the fire in our own lives. And I'm convinced that when we do that and when the conditions are right and, and the spark of God comes, only God can do it. We can't make it happen. We can ask for it. But when that happens, man, revival happens. The environment changes. People around us change. The things that we thought we'd never have a breakthrough for, all of a sudden we get a breakthrough. The things that we've been fighting in our lives for years and years and years and we haven't had the power to deal with on our own. Man, I'm telling you, when the spirit moves, it'll change in a moment in time. And I believe that the Holy Spirit, what he wants to do is he really wants to empower some people even today. So here's what we're going to do. If you're here this morning and you long to experience the ruach, the breath, the spirit of God, the wind, if you want to be consumed, transformed, purified, empowered, if you need a fresh wind, we can't live off yesterday's wind and yesterday's fire. We weren't made to live that way. If you're here this morning and you want a fresh wind and a fresh fire in your life, I want to invite you right where you're at real quick. Just stand up. And I'm going to include you in a prayer all over this place. You want to experience what we're talking about. You want to see a revival take place in your own life, in your own family. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, stand up, man. We're going to give you an opportunity right now. And I just want to pray over you. And for some of you this morning, we do this, and there's nothing like magical about it. It just kind of helps us get in a position. But some of you might even want to take and put your hands, palms up in front of you, just in a posture of receiving. And this morning, Father, as people are standing all over this place, and I'm sure there are those who are online who are joining us and, and at least in their own hearts are standing and saying, yes, include me in this prayer. This morning, we just pray, Holy Spirit, we need you to do what only you can do. We, we, we need a fresh wind. We need a fresh fire. Father, I pray today for those who this is their first time where they really just sense your, your call upon their lives, the tugging of their hearts, and Lord, they have never surrendered their lives to you today. I pray that in this moment that you would receive them. I pray right now for those who you want to just surrender your life to Jesus, to just in the quietness of your own heart say, Jesus, I receive you today. I receive you today. And even more importantly than me receiving you, I give myself to you. Holy Spirit, we pray that the, the wind, your breath, the wind of your spirit would blow across us today. There, there are some of us who we've got flesh and muscle and bone and ligaments and we've been walking around like dead people. 
And we need a new life breathed into us. I pray that you would do it today as only you can. That there are those today that, Father, have, have been carrying around something in their heart. I just get this sense of there's a bitterness, Lord. And I, I pray that today that bitterness would be healed, that forgiveness would be released in Jesus' name. We don't want anything to keep us from receiving everything that you have for us. And so we receive it today. Let your, let your wind, the wind of your spirit, blow into us. I pray for your fire to come, to consume us, to purify us. I pray that we would be set ablaze so that when we go out into the world that that, that, the people would notice, man, there's something about them. Fill us with the fire of your love. Help us to speak the language of your love. The word says that when the fire fell, there was like tongues of fire and they began to speak a new language. I pray that the language that we speak would always be the language of love because that's who you are. And so, Lord, we're just going to trust you. Please do with us whatever it is that you want to do. Launch us out into the world. Use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You are dismissed.